Hariyam, Shri Gurubhyo Namaha. We're going to be starting a beautiful series on a text called Upadesa Sara, written by a great saint called Ramana Maharishi. Ramana Maharishi is one of the people who have really changed the way in which Hinduism is practiced and understood because he brought so much more depth of understanding into the philosophy of what the Vedas teach. His life story is incredibly fascinating and highly, highly inspiring. It's one of those romantic spiritual stories where everything just falls into place and he seems extra human, extraordinary. So at a very young age, probably around about 15, 16, he had this urge to leave home when a passing pilgrimage mentions the word Arunachala Thiruvannamalai. This is a temple in the south of India dedicated to Lord Shiva. And it is said when he hears the words, the name of the temple, his hair stood on end and it kept echoing in his mind and he felt this immense pull that he just had to go there. And he literally does. He leaves the next day or that day itself and he takes very little money. His elder cousin had left some money for tuition for him and he takes that money to get his train ticket and he doesn't even take enough. And he boards the train with just that little bit of money and whatever he's wearing and sets off to get to this temple that he felt this pull towards. And the journey is not easy. He runs out of money. He ends up being extremely hungry. Somebody helps him buys some gold earrings and he sells it at a very low price because he doesn't feel he needs that much money and he's not even motivated to have that much. He just wants to get to the temple. And so the person actually gives him a credit note saying that the earrings are worth far more, but if you don't want to take it, then here's this note and when you come back, I'll be good to give you the money. So he sets off and he reaches the gates of the temple and there's this beautiful description of how he says, Father, I have come because the feeling in his heart was that he had been called and so he has reached this destination. And now that he's arrived, he wants nothing more and so he has a few coins left. He throws it into the lake, the body of water that's in front of the temple where people would usually take a bath before they go in. And along the way, when he was asking for food, somebody had mentioned, you know, that you were Brahmana and you shouldn't be associating with people who are not Brahmana because he was wearing the sacred thread. And so he takes out the sacred thread as well and he thought he doesn't want any kind of labels. He doesn't want to have to deal with any of these norms or rules. And he throws that into the body of water as well. And he sees this credit note that promises him the money that was owing to him. And he thought, nothing. He doesn't want it. And he throws that too. And so there's this sense of renunciation and letting go of absolutely everything else and any tie to his former life. And so having renounced everything and having arrived at that temple, he now sits in prayer and meditation. And this goes on for something like two or three years. And he enters into a beautiful state of samadhi where he loses consciousness with the body, so much so that he can't even feel hunger or thirst or any other biological urge. And this is what makes the story so fascinating to us because what would this state be where the mind leaves the body and the mind is just reveling in this bliss? 
And slowly he attracts people to him because people start realizing that this is a very genuine, sincere seeker. And there's, you know, there's so much devotion and there's so much tapas and there's so much resolve. And surely he's seeing and experiencing something that the rest of us are not. And as time passes, and as he realizes this highest truth in the depth of that meditation, he slowly starts speaking. And what he says is always so incredibly profound. But I think the thing that really everyone speaks about when they speak about Ramana Maharishi is his eyes. Even when you look at a picture of him, his eyes seem to see far more than what you and I see. And they have this glow and they have this intensity and they have this sense of wisdom. And so people would gather around. And actually, even though he did start speaking, he spoke very, very little. He was quite economic with his words. He wouldn't say anything more than what was needed. And so in a way that made people respect each word he said so much more, even though I don't think it was done with intention or calculation, it was just that he just loved silence so much and he just imbibed silence and abided in silence and that was where he rested. And so it had to be important for him to say it or it had to be significant and purposeful. Only then would he break from silence to actually speak. And so over time, people would go and they too would start to enjoy silence in the presence of this incredible being. And having tasted the silence in his presence, it would inspire them to then meditate or do their japa or to live these nobler lives so that they can strive towards being just even a little bit of what he was and to experience in their being what they experienced when they were with him so around him grew an ashram. And that ashram is still there today in Arunachala. And it's still very, very frequently visited by pilgrims because it still bears that energy and that presence of Ramana Maharishi, even though he had left the physical body quite a while ago. And the ashram as it grew, a community grew around him and the community was of doing spiritual practices and to imbibe in teachings. And there were quite a few devotees who lived in that ashram full time and worked towards building up knowledge systems around Ramana Maharishi's teachings and to, you know, to create an atmosphere where people could do service, seva, which could also then cleanse their mind and be in the place where it was conducive to spiritual practices. And so some of these devotees that lived there full time just on their own accord, would take up projects. And one devotee by the name of Muragana was very inspired to write the Shiv Puran because in the South literature around Lord Shiva, Lord Kartikeya was far more popular. And also because this temple that had seemed to pull Ramana Maharishi was one of Shiva and Ramana Maharishi loved Shiva. He himself had this great devotion for Lord Shiva. But not only for that temple and that deity, Lord Shiva, he had broken off every other relationship. He had left his family and he never returned to his family. And remember when he arrived at the temple, he said, Father, I have come. And so the idea was now his only family was this father, Lord Shiva. 
And the story of that temple or this place in India is that once Lord Vishnu and Brahmaji were having this argument about who is more powerful and who is better, and there was suddenly this beam of light. So they had this agreement that whoever was more powerful would find the beginning. And Brahma jumped on his swan and went up to find the beginning of the beam of light. And Lord Vishnu did the same. He became a boar and started digging into the earth to find the beginning of this beam of light. And the story goes that a flower was falling. Brahmaji caught it and asked the flower, are you from the beginning, from the source, from where this light ends? And the flower says, yes. And he says, will you tell Lord Vishnu that that's where I found you? That's where you're from. They both agree to this line when they come back to the center and Brahmaji presents that, you know, I found the beginning, which wasn't a truth. The beam of light breaks open with immense thunder and Lord Shiva emerges forth to say that it wasn't true. And now that Lord Shiva has appeared, the devotees are so ecstatic to see him and feel so grateful and so blessed to have this vision of Lord Shiva. The incident is over and Lord Shiva is about to go and they beg, please, you can't leave us now that you have come. We've worked so hard to see you. And so Lord Shiva agrees to stay on earth as this mountain. And so the Arunachala mountain is considered to be Lord Shiva. And Ramana Maharishi had this immense love for this mountain and he would do the pradakshana around it every day, walk around it, walk over it, walk on it, sit on it. So this immense love for Shiva became contagious within the ashram. And so even the devotees wanted to know more about Shiva and do stories about Shiva to have that same kind of devotion. And so he sets up in starting the project of writing the Shiva Purana. And then there comes this incident, which we'll talk about in the next podcast, where he pauses in his writing and requests Ramana Maharishi to write. And then that's how this text of Upadesar comes about. It's a beautiful, beautiful text. And you will all agree with me as we do these series. So here the idea is that there is this call that comes from the Lord. You know, we hear stories like this of great saints and sages, and some of us will get this feeling of, you know, when is the Lord going to call me? And when is my heart going to be filled with so much devotion that I am steeped in silence? And the idea when we hear stories like this is that the Lord is constantly reaching out to each one of us. And it's our ability to hear and feel that presence in our lives. Think about it. For more in-depth talks from Swamini Supriyananda and other excellent teachers of the Chinmaya Mission, you can subscribe to chinmayaclicks.com. You can also visit the Chinmaya channel on YouTube for bite-sized inspiration and discourses on in-depth Vedantic texts. To know about local classes, activities, and upcoming retreats, visit www.chinmayamission.com. And see you on the next podcast.